Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 683 with Nir Eyal. And, and so it wasn't until I realized what the truth of what's going on in our brain to realize that everything we do is about a desire to escape discomfort, which, which must mean, therefore, that time management is pain management. Yes. That it doesn't matter what life hack or productivity guru you listen to, fundamentally, no technique is going to work unless we deal with this fact that we are looking to escape from discomfort with distraction. So the key here is to master our internal triggers, to understand why we get distracted, and to deal with those internal triggers in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you like saving time and money, then you've got to check out both Beveger and Foodager.com. Here's how they save you that time and moolah. They empower you to count your entire bar inventory accurately in half the time. They make it so you never lose an invoice. Foodager and Beveger make it possible to place all of your orders at once. You can even order from any device straight from the vendor, which gets you those low, low rates. And lastly, you'll get real-time costing and sales analytics. To learn more, head over to Beveger.com or Foodager.com slash unstoppable. And if you use those links, you can save up to $200 on your POS integration. What are you waiting for? Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash Unstoppable, And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Nir Eyal. Nir, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I sure am. This is awesome. Wow. I love, can I just say, I love how you just turned on that radio voice. That, that was <laughs> you, amazing. You, you that gotta, was like a switch. This is a high energy, <laughs> motivational, pick me up kind of podcast. I, I got to I gotta get there. I got to bring people up to my level to, to make this uh, mission a real thing. Well so. done. Yeah. Thank you very much. So let me tell the listeners a little bit more about you. Since 2003, Nir Eyal has founded two tech companies and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Platter Platner. Am I saying that correctly? Platner Hasso Platner Institute of Design at Stanford. He is also the author of the best-selling book Hooked: How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and his most recent book Indistractable: How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. In addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, Near's writings have been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and psychology today. And uh, I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Uh, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So one of the mantras that I repeat every day is this saying that goes like this, that real success is being happy for the success of others. Real success is being happy for the success of others. I love that, man. Dive into why that resonates with you and why you chose that quote today. Because I think it's very easy to look over your shoulder, look side to side, and, and even when you become 
uh, successful in your particular industry. It's it's incredible how you it's, you can always judge your success uh, compared to others, and that's that doesn't make you happy. That makes you miserable, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless. You can turn it on its head and yeah. say, you know what? I am so happy for your success. Yes. If you can convince yourself and become actually happy by seeing, even for people you don't know, of course, when your friends are successful, even though, you know, many times deep down, it's, it's hard to see your, your friends become more successful than you are, but certainly for your friends, but also for people you don't even know, but that you, instead of, instead of feeling envious, instead of feeling jealous, which I think many of us are prone to, I think all of us are prone yeah. to some degree, instead, I think that mantra of real success is being happy for the success of others. That yes. is really what yes. success is. And I'm, I'm so happy you chose that quote because after you know, over 600 interviews with some of the most successful restaurateurs around the world, it's those who make their life about serving everyone else but them mm. that are at the top. And they don't, it's, it's about the people that they're bringing up and seeing them go on and do better things beyond their restaurant. And, and when they make it about everybody else, it, it comes around some way, somehow. Totally. You don't know exactly how, but it, it, it does. And you don't track those, those you know, uh, deposits, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't track those for your return. But when you put a bunch of deposits out into the world, like it just comes back, you know? Right, and I right. think that's kind of what I pull from that quote. And I'm really excited for today's conversation because um, on the show, I'm always asking my, my restaurant tour guests, uh, what's your it factor? Pick one habit, trait, characteristic, something you believe most contributes to your success. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, they're saying uh, either something along the lines of focus or discipline comes mm-hmm. up all the time. Mm-hmm. What is discipline? Right. Like, and I think that if you look at your book right here, uh, that, you know, indistractable, right. Or sorry, indistractable, uh, how to control your attention and choose your life. I think we could replace that word with discipline, how to control your attention and choose your life. Right. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a little different of a word, but today what we're going to do is kind of dive into this book and I'll open it up again to you so people can see it out there. I'm not even sure if that's on frame right now, but we'll hold it up plenty of times. Um, I want to dive into this book. Um, and one of the things I believe in behind every great restaurant is a great person, mm. right? So in order to become a great restaurateur, it starts with working on yourself. And this book is going to give us some of the tools we need to to give ourselves an uplift, right? Mm. Or, or a facelift or uh, to just make ourselves better. And I guess what I would like to do before we dive into the book is tell us a little bit more about you and what makes you an authority and why we should be listening to what you're going to share with us today. Sure. So I'm what you call a behavioral designer. So I specialize in understanding how to design environments, sometimes through technology, how we can facilitate people's habits and behaviors to help them form good habits in their day-to-day lives. Uh, And so I've worked with thousands of companies over the years to design various products to help people build good habits. For example, I worked with a company called FitBod that helps people uh, get hooked to exercising in the gym through this app. Kahoot is a company I invested in. It's the world's largest educational software, and they use the hook model to get kids hooked onto in-classroom learning. Uh, I've worked with companies like the New York Times to get people hooked to reading the news every day. So what I wanted to do with my first book was to uh, to democratize these techniques that some of the big tech companies use, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Slack, Snapchat. If we could use the same psychology that makes those products so sticky uh, and and use that power to help people live better lives, to help them uh, exercise more and, and, and eat more healthfully and uh, connect with loved ones more frequently, whatever the case might be, whatever habits they are looking to form, we can use technology and experience design to help them achieve those goals. Now, the flip side of that is that I also have a uh, particular point of view, given my expertise in, uh, in behavioral design, and I know how these techniques are used, I also understand Achilles, the, the Achilles heel of distraction. Because sometimes when a product is designed to be 
so engaging, sometimes it can be distracting. Yeah. And so I wrote Indistractable, not just because of, I think, the current uh, struggle that a lot of people have with technology, how we find ourselves overusing Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, whatever the case might be, uh, but la- more largely speaking, you know, th- this problem of distraction. And I think it's important to define what I mean when I use this term distraction. The best way to understand what is distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. So the opposite of distraction, if you think about it, most people would say it's focus. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Mm. That in fact, both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do. So this is really important for a few reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction. Yeah. So where I think this is particularly applicable to, to restaurateurs is, you know, you, you, you say you're going to do one thing, and then all of a sudden, this other thing comes up, yep. and it takes you away from what you actually wanted to do. And even though it feels like work, it feels like it's productive, it feels like something I should be doing right now, I got to handle this thing, most of the time that thing is a distraction. It's not traction. It's taking you away from what you plan to do, even if it feels like work. Like unless it's a real emergency, uh, a lot of people struggle with this idea. You know, we used to call them butterflies, right? Like, oh, I got this idea. I got to do it right now. Let me go check email. Let me go do this one thing. Let me, I got this amazing idea. It's going to be amazing. Let me go focus on that. As opposed to, no, what you really wanted to do was maybe, you know, the boring stuff. Maybe it's the, the stuff that's important, but less urgent. And what we find is with the problem of distraction, it's, it's, primarily a problem of prioritizing the the urgent over the important and so what that means is we never get to the important stuff yeah. we're constantly running around like chickens with their heads cut yeah, off and you get into this in the book of talking about using a list versus using time blocking right right, right. You know, or time boxing um i think we're going to get into some of that how um but real quick when you when you finished and you uh you wrote hooked right and you put that out into the world and all these ceos these tech companies were using what you taught to basically use human behavior right some of the weaknesses in human behavior to to get people to use the product right um where were you after writing that book? Did you have kind of some kind of, was there any guilt involved with like no, maybe? No, no. No. You, got, you, got, you got to understand here. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't work for Facebook. I've never taken a dime from you. Facebook. Yeah. I've never done, taken a dime from the gaming companies. There are a lot of companies I will not work with out of principle, alcohol, tobacco, uh, free to play games, many companies I will not work with. The idea was to steal their secrets. They already know these techniques, yeah. right? It, Facebook and the gaming companies don't need my book. They, yeah. they know these techniques for, for decades now. What with the people who do need the techniques are the restaurant owners, are the people who are trying to change people's lives for the better if they would use the goddamn product. Exactly. (laughs) So that's who I wrote the book for. I didn't work with the the companies that people think When you say the book, we're talking about Hooked. Hooked, right, right, right. right. Um, So from what I gather, you already kind of said it, when you came out with Indistractable, or sorry, being, I don't know why I always say Indistractable. Yeah, when you started with Indistractable, uh, the, the mission was to kind of, Fight back to all these these tools that are out there to get our, atten- our, our attention. A- any distraction, frankly, right? Yeah. I mean, distraction is nothing new. It could be the television. It could be the radio. It could be working too much. It could be a hundred different things. It's not just technology. So we already kind of talked about your inspiration for Indistractable, right? Um, you wanted to give people the tools to, to kind of focus on what it is that they they set out to do in life, right? So let's, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and then we will come back and kind of start diving into some of the how. Who wants to pop off the new year with some badass resolutions? Well, here are a few suggestions. Lower your food costs by 5% 
on your kitchen inventory, lower your pour costs by 10% on your bar purchasing, or why not lower your labor costs by up to 30 hours a month? Heck, why not crush all three of these resolutions? Well, with Bevager and Foodager, you can and the new year won't even see you coming. If you're thinking it does not get any better than this, you would be wrong because these tools work with your phone, they connect to your POS, and they scale to multiple locations, and this is just scratching the surface. If you want to learn more, head over to Bevager or Foodager.com slash unstoppable. That's Bevager, B-E-V-A-G-E-R.com or Foodager, F-O-O-D-A-G-E-R.com slash unstoppable. If you use those links, you can save up to $200 on your POS integration. What are you waiting for? All right, so you're back, and you already started kind of diving a little bit into the how, but just really get into, like, you were talking about uh, traction versus distraction, and, mm-hmm. and where does it all start? If we want to get control back of our lives and start living intentionally, right, uh, where, where, what's the first thing we have to do? Yeah, so the very first and most important step is to understand why we get distracted, mm-hmm. that we know we have acts of traction, things that we do with intent that move us closer to what we want, and then we have the opposite of traction is distraction, the things that we do that move us away from what we plan to do, uh, the actions that are, are the opposite of traction. And so what we have to do is to ask ourselves, well, what prompts us to either traction or distraction? And there are essentially two things that can lead us to what we want to do versus what we don't want to do. And these are triggers. And there are two types of triggers. We have external triggers and we have internal triggers. External triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings, other people, things in our environment that lead us towards traction or distraction. Now, most people blame these external triggers. They say, oh, you know, I wanted to focus and uh, I, I got off track because my iPhone rang or because I got this email or because I was interrupted with this, that, or the other. That's true. These external triggers can lead us towards distraction, and we can talk about techniques to deal with them. But We definitely it, will dive into yeah, some of those techniques. Yeah, absolutely. But the <laughs> most important place to start, it turns out from a time use study perspective, where we waste the most time, what actually leads us to the majority of distractions are not the things outside of us, but rather what is going on inside yes of us. yes man yeah. and that's why i get so excited when i come across books like this because i'm i'm always arguing like if you want to be a great restaurateur every great like behind every great restaurant is a great person so mm-hmm. it starts with working on you yeah right and, and understanding yourself it's like the engine of a car when you're driving down the street and you hear a rattle and you don't know anything about cars you're like oh crap like what's going on like i'm worried and having this anxiety yeah. like all this stuff say, going it's on. the noise the what's noise is the problem ha- yeah what's right. gonna happen but, but it's not it's never the noise but if you what's know causing the yeah, noise yeah but if you <laughs> learn engines and how it works and you're like oh that's just a fan belt it's yeah. fine like everything's good and then you can go on with your life. Your mind is an engine. It's a machine, right? It's, it's, it has processes. It works a certain way. And when you understand how it works, you can override it. We have that power to override some of these, these, uh, uh, these things that we evolved, right? That we don't need anymore. Right. So you get into that in the book. So uh, what is going on in the head? What dive into these internal distractions. What is an internal distraction? Uh, internal trigger. Sorry. Thank you. Internal yeah. trigger. So that. we've got these internal triggers and these, these are essentially uncomfortable emotional states. Uh, so if we want to understand why do we get distracted, we have to start a layer deeper to a more base question of why do we do anything? What's the nature of human motivation? And most people will tell you that human motivation is about carrots and sticks, right? We've heard this before, you know, that everything we do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. But neurologically speaking, that's not true. That it turns out we are not motivated by the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, but rather everything we do, everything we do, we do for one reason. 
and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Mm. That even wanting to feel good, even searching for a pleasurable sensation is in fact psychologically destabilizing. Wanting, craving, desire, lusting. There's a reason we say love hurts because that is exactly what's going on in the brain. It's, un- it's psychologically uncomfortable. So we know this to be true physiologically. For example, if you go outside and it's too cold, well, that doesn't feel good. So your brain tells you put on a coat. Yeah. If you come back inside, now it's too hot, you take it off. If you're hungry, you feel hunger pangs, so you eat. And if you eat too much, oh, now you feel stuffed. The brain says that doesn't feel good. Stop eating. Yeah. So everything we do physiologically is prompted by this desire to escape discomfort. And the same holds true for our psychological responses. So when we are lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we're bored, we check the news, we check sports scores, Reddit, Pinterest. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Lots of things can relieve these uncomfortable psychological states. So what that means is if you find that you struggle to not do what you say you're going to do every day, if you've got this long list of to-dos, and if you're anything like I used to be, I'd have 100 things on that to-do list, and day after day after day, I felt like a loser because I never got everything done, right? I would yeah. say I was going to do one thing, and I kept lying to myself. i say I was going to eat right. I didn't. I would say I was going to exercise. I wouldn't. I would say I was going to spend quality time with my friends, my daughter, my, my wife, and I wouldn't. I would constantly get distracted. And, and so it wasn't until I realized what the truth of what's going on in our brain to realize that everything we do is about a desire to escape discomfort, which, which must mean, therefore, that time management is pain management. Yes. That it doesn't matter what life hack or productivity guru you listen to. Fundamentally, no technique is going to work unless we deal with this fact that we are looking to escape from discomfort with distraction. So the key here is to master our internal triggers, to understand why we get distracted, and to deal with those internal triggers in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. Yeah, I'm curious before we start moving forward with this, what is the reason, why do we, like what was the beneficial evolution, mm-hmm. or the evolution benefit, like what was so, what, what am I trying to say? Why was evolutionary beneficial for us to develop this habit of discomfort? Right. Like, what's going on there? Yeah, so um, a popular myth I think out there these days that's propagated by the, the self-help industry is that this unreasonable goal and expectation that a lot of people have that they tell us that we're supposed to be happy all the time. Yes, I'm sorry. They tell us we're supposed to be content and satisfied. And if you're not happy all the time, then something's wrong with you. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. Right. Look, the fact of the matter is there's nothing bad about feeling bad. That is an evolutionary gift. Think about it. If there was ever a tribe of Homo sapiens who was happy all the time, who was satisfied with life, everything was awesome. Well, then therefore that tribe of Homo sapiens most likely was killed and eaten by our ancestors. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Because that would not be an evolutionarily beneficial trait. We want a species to want more, right? If you wanted to design a species to survive, you would want this constant desire to hunt, to search, to invent, to create. You want discomfort in order to drive you to do more. So feeling bad is not bad. It's about how we utilize that discomfort. Many people... They run away from the discomfort, right? They run away from the discomfort with the bottle, with a smoke, with Putting Facebook, it off, a video game, anything, Anything. Right? You, yeah. And anything. In fact, biologically, we know that people can get addicted to any analgesic. Anything that solves pain, anything that solves pain, 
Comic books can solve pain. Facebook can solve pain. Alcohol can solve pain. Lots of things can solve pain. And you can become biologically addicted to just about anything if it solves pain. So what we need to do is not blame the substance, right? That plays a role. But the fact of the matter is the root cause is that we do not have the tools in our toolkit to deal with that psychological discomfort in a healthier way that leads us towards yeah. traction rather than distraction. I, I really wanted you to get into that because I think it's really important because we can all, everybody that's listening to this, I'm sure is shaking their head like, yeah, I'm never satisfied. Mm-hmm. You know, I can never have enough. It never feels like it's, it's like once I get to a certain point, I want to get to the next level and you're not alone. Right. Um, and I think it's really important to let people know that we're all hardwired to, to feel like this. So you're not alone in feeling that. And it's important to know that we're not alone because when you look out into the, the world and especially with like Instagram today and social media, and we, we see all these people projecting their lifestyles this isn't like this is something that comes up often in today's media people are talking about this like it's all fake you know mm-hmm. now we're comparing ourselves to all these false realities and saying well i really must be doing something wrong because everybody's lives look so great yeah. um and but, like, but i think we can also utilize this discomfort it's not necessarily a bad thing okay i think that that social comparison uh can be used for good it, you know there's there's greed that's an envy that's not helpful uh but there's admiration mm-hmm. that can be very helpful when you see somebody that you admire and you want to learn how they got where they got uh that can be used to your benefit so you know we don't want to tell ourselves that striving is bad yeah right that uh that 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 you don't have to necessarily believe that suffering is something to be escaped from you can actually harness that disquietude to benefit you Mm. right and so you know there's all kinds of forms of escape i'll say something a little controversial here you know look you can even use meditation to escape Mm -hmm. right fact of the matter is not a lot of buddhist monks have won nobel prizes and i know that's going to be controversial but that's the fact (laughs) of the matter because when you escape reality and not that there's anything wrong with meditation i think meditation is wonderful if you do it if you practice it, if it benefits you you should continue to do it but the solution to everything isn't and this is really what i'm trying to say here the solution isn't always escape. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes if you do it with intent, if you want to meditate, if you want to watch a movie, if you want to read a book to kind of escape your head for a while, wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But we should do that on our schedule, not on someone else's schedule, not on the app makers, not on a religious leader's schedule, not on our boss's schedule, not on our kid's schedule, not on our spouse's schedule. We should do that on our schedule and on our terms when it serves us, not yeah. when we feel we are serving these tools. Yeah, but you, you share something really important in the book that I think is worth bringing to the surface in today's conversation, and that's that if you are one of these people that feel yourself uh, going to bad habits, negative habits to escape, whether that's uh, alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, there's a simple way to combat that. And it's just telling yourself, I don't do that anymore. I think that's a really important thing to bring to the surface. Cause it's really so simple. It's, it's really, it can be easy to like override our habits when we talk to ourselves certain ways. Well, yes, but that's, that comes a little later. Okay. Okay. I don't want to get ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can start transitioning. Yeah. 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 Start so transitioning. If that, you want. that is actually, so there's four steps to becoming indistractable. The first is to master these internal triggers. And so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of techniques that we need to use to, to diffuse that discomfort. That's the first step. That's how we start to master these internal triggers by reimagining them. We can reimagine the trigger, reimagine the task, and reimagine our temperament. And there's lots of things we can do there. Starting with testing, I think what you're alluding to a little bit is testing the self-image that may not serve us. So there's a lot of literature out there around willpower. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that there's a lot of folk psychology and uh, misinformation when it comes to willpower. One of the the most widely spread... um, kind of miss out there is that willpower runs out. And I used to tell myself this every day. I'd come home from work 
and I'd feel tired. I'd say, oh, man, I'm, I'm spent. I, I have no willpower left. I have no self-discipline left. Give me that Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to sit on the couch, and I'm going to watch, ben- I'm gonna watch uh, Netflix here for uh, an hour or two, typically three or four. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would use this excuse that I had no more willpower left. And in fact, there's a, there's a term for this. This is called ego depletion. And uh, a few years ago, there was actually a, a, a scientist who showed that ego depletion really exists, that you run out of uh, willpower like you run out of gas in a gas tank. So maybe it's true that, you know, I have no more willpower left. How can, you, how can I possibly make any more good decisions? Yeah. Until, you know, what we do in the scientific community, we never take this stuff at face value. If a study sounds fishy, we rerun it. We try and replicate it. And so a group of scientists tried to replicate this study, and they couldn't do it. And so far, it looks like ego, ego depletion isn't real, doesn't really exist. You don't run out of willpower like gas at a gas tank, except in one group of people. At the work of Carol Dweck, Dweck you might know her work. Uh, she's at Stanford. She wrote the book Mindset, which is fantastic. And uh, she decided to do these studies, and she found that there is one group of people who really do run out of willpower like someone would run out of gas in a gas tank. And that group of people... The only ones who displayed ego depletion were the ones who believed Mm. that willpower was a limited resource. Yeah. So if you were the kind of person who believes that you've run out, you acted accordingly. Yeah. And so we want to challenge these self-limiting beliefs. So many of us carry these self-limiting beliefs. Uh, I'm lazy. I'm uh, an imposter. I'm a morning person. I'm I'm this on my Myers-Briggs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And for the most part, we have to ask ourselves, is that self-image serving me or am I serving it? One of the most popular uh, things that I think we hear in the media these days is that technology is hijacking our brains. It's addicting everyone. Uh, there's the algorithms. There's nothing you can do about it. They're, they're hijacking your brain. And it turns out that not only is this scientifically not true, it's also harmful. Yeah. Because what happens when we believe these things it becomes a self-limiting belief. It leads to what we call learned helplessness. Well, you know, I can't help that my kids are addicted to video games. What am I going to do, right? I, I can't help it that I'm constantly checking email. What can I do, right? It's just, it's the technology doing it to me. It's my business that's doing it to me. There's no other choice. And so we don't even try and fix the problem. Mm. And I think those are the kind of self-limiting beliefs that we need to really be careful of. Now, we'll get to a little later, the fourth step to becoming indistractable is about making pacts. And that's where we can actually reshape our self-image to think of ourselves in a different way. But we can get to that a little later. Yeah. The reason why I was chomping at the bit to, to bring this to the conversation is because we hear it a lot on the show. It's like restaurant owners are working 70, 80 plus hours a week sometimes, especially in the early years when they're getting started. And they just, sometimes they feel like they have nothing left in the tank mm. to do the extra things they need to do to get out of the hole, to, to, to be a little bit better, to start moving in the direction where you work on your business, not in your business all the time. Yeah. But they, they tell themselves, like, I'm exhausted. I don't have enough. There's just not enough time in the day. But when you tell yourself that, you're going to believe it. And, it's, right. and you have to push past it. You have to find a little more something in the tank to do that one extra thing to knock out that block, right? At the, you know, at 10 30 at night when the restaurants close, you have that last block. What's one thing I need to get done today to move me in that direction? Like knock out that one more block because it's going to get you out of that place yep. of living a reactionary life, right? That's right. So I, I love so that important. you use that term reactionary because I think, you know, all of us work jobs that have varying degrees of two types of work. We have reactive work and reflective work. And so some jobs are 100% reactive. If you work in a call center, your job is to sit down and you pick up the phone. Every time the phone rings, you pick it up. If the phone is not ringing, you wait. That would be a, an example of a 100% reactive job. 
But very few, increasingly fewer, fewer people are working those type of jobs. Most jobs today, especially knowledge work, entrepreneurship, certainly being a restaurateur, requires you to not only have reactive time, you also need time for reflection. And it's, I think, consistently in every industry, it's the people whose jobs require them to reflect, who don't make time for it, who end up failing. Because you react all day long. You're just doing, 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 responding to fires and, yeah. and you know, putting out fires all day long and responding to other people's needs or whatever is, is going on that you have no time to sit, sit down and ask yourself, wait, what's actually important? And if there's one thing, if you want to get a leg up on your competition, if you want to improve your business, if you want to improve your life, one of the best things you can do for yourself is plan some time in your day. Make an appointment with yourself Think of that time with yourself as important as if you were going to meet your hero, right? Like if it's a famous politician or a famous chef or a movie star. Imagine that person called you up and said, hey, I want to meet you for breakfast tomorrow at 9 a.m. Can I have an hour with you? I want you to meet with yourself with that same enthusiasm because, look, you're the most important person to you. Who's more important person in your life than yourself? And if you can sit down for one hour of indistractable time to think, just think, Write down what's going on in your life. Have a conversation with yourself about what's important, what's not important. This is how we begin to prioritize the important over the urgent. And that is a huge competitive advantage because nobody makes that time for themselves. Yeah. Right. And I think this is a really good segue into the next one of the next points you bring up in the book. A little bit of a sidestep, but to to kind of spin off what you're saying, that that time to get kind of – to invest in ourselves and taking the time to get our core values down. Right. right. Um, and I think that's really important. We talk about the, the value of, of core values a lot, but I never really thought about how that helps you be less distracted mm. because when, well, I'll let you, I'll let you yeah, explain it. Yeah. Get into so the second important. step. So after we've mastered the internal triggers and there's a lot more techniques we didn't, didn't get to, but you get the general point is to understand why we get distracted, these internal triggers that lead us to distraction. So after you have a, a tool set for how to deal with those, the next step is to make time for traction. So traction are these things that, that move us towards what we want, these things that we plan to do with intent. Now, we're, the way we do that is we turn our values into time. Mm-hmm. What are values? Values I define as the attributes of the person you want to become, the attributes of the person you want to become. So I'm not going to tell you what your values should be. Only you can define your values. And I don't want you to spend your time making some vision board or five-year plan or regrets of the dying. No, no, no. Let's start with next week, right? So many people get wound up in what are my values and what are, you know, this five-year plan. No, next week. How can you live out your values in three life domains? The three life domains start with you in the center. How can you turn your values into time when it comes to taking care of yourself, right? And I'm not telling you what your values should be, but if you value taking care of your body, that's one of your values, do you have time for a proper bedtime to make sure you get adequate sleep? Do you have time to exercise in your day? If that's one of your values, it needs time in your calendar. Just like you would make an appointment if a famous chef said, I really want to talk to you, I really want to meet with you for an hour, are you making that time for yourself to live out your values in what I call the you domain? Then the next domain is your relationships. Are you making time in your calendar with regularity for the important people in your life? whether that's your significant other, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, is there time on your calendar to connect with other people? Because the fact of the matter is, you know, particularly when it comes to hard-charging industries like the restaurant industry, we oftentimes let the people we love get whatever left, is left over. Mm-hmm. And, and in my case, uh, 
th- th- this kind of came to the fore for me when uh, my wife, who we've been married now for 18 years, and we met in an economics class in undergrad. And I remember we learned this term in economics class, uh, residual beneficiary. A residual beneficiary is the chump that gets whatever's left over when a business is liquidated. So when a business goes out of business, first the debt holders get their share, yep. then the equity holders, then whatever's left over is the residual beneficiary. Typically that person doesn't get much. <laughs> yeah. right? And so a few years ago, uh, before I wrote this book, my wife came to me and she said, Nir, you have made me the residual beneficiary. Like I get whatever scraps of time are left over. Is that fair? Are you living out your values here? And the answer was no, I was guilty. I wasn't making time for the, for the most important person in my life. My wife is my yeah. life partner here, and I wasn't making time for her. Yeah. So that time has to be on your schedule as well. It, particularly, I think, you know, this has really um, taken a toll, I think, when it comes to this loneliness epidemic that we're suffering through. I mean, psychologists tell us today that loneliness is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're at this state right now of loneliness? Yeah, I'll tell you why. I think, and people say, oh, it's because Facebook, you know, people are using Facebook instead of connecting with their real friends. That's not true. The problem started much, much earlier. Robert Putnam wrote about this in the 1990s in his book, Bowling Alone. And the hypothesis that he set forth in this book, Bowling Alone, is that there's been a precipitous decline in the amount of time that people spend in civic organizations. Yes. Kiwanis Club, Bowling League, Church Group, that those organizations used to have fixed times on our schedule. Yep. And now people don't participate like they used to. Well, it's, it's interesting. We, we used to live in a society that depended on like community and family, right? Mm-hmm. Now, today, it's, it's, a, it's a market and government. We don't need each other like we used to anymore. Mm-hmm. We literally do not. We, we evolved to need each other. Right. We, we couldn't do it on our own. Right. And we, need, we had that dependency on one another. Now we live in this world. We, we literally don't need anybody around us. We don't even know the na- half our neighbor's names. You know right. what I mean? So we're kind of isolating ourselves. Do you think that kind of parallels to what you're sharing with us? Absolutely. And I think the, the, the ultimate truth is that we do need each other yeah. that, that we think we can you know we get entertainment from our television sets you know the average american still today spends five hours on average a day watching yeah. tv we complain about social media but you know five hours a day on tv is nothing to sneeze at that's a lot of time watching exactly. tv uh and we, we need this you know we know that one of the core uh psychological needs that we all have according to self-determination theory is that we need relatedness we mm-hmm. all need that for it's our right after security right we, we have to have that this this ability to understand others and to be understood ourselves by others and so we have to make time for it even if it's you know bruise with your buddies on a friday night yeah. or bowling league or well, something to interact with other people but it, the important thing is it has to be on your schedule yeah and uh, some people listening to this be like why are they talking about this we're here to talk about you know staying uh, not getting distracted but the truth of the matter is i and you can't help but notice in the in the writing that so much to do with being able to the Stay focused has to do with mental health. Absolutely. Right? It's like they they are so tied together. Yeah. So if you want that mental health, you need to have those relationships. You yeah. need to feel secure. And this is some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Like we need security. We need relationships. And you, so and you, you need, need to take with- care of that. You need to take, you're in the center of that circle. You right. need to take care of yourself. And the truth of the matter is you won't attract onto yourself anybody at your level or higher unless, you know, like we are, we attract onto ourselves what we are, right? Yeah. So if you want to attract on to yourself the best, you have to become the best. You have to put that time into yourself. Right. And we started talking about values earlier. I kind of want to get back onto that um, yeah. so we can make time at the end to talk about some of the things we can do to fight back, right? Um, with values, we, we're always talking about writing your values down. It's a center line. Uh, but when you want to live intentionally, right, we're talking about living intentionally and not being reactive, you need to know what's important to you so you can do the things that are going to feed into your values, your purpose, right? right. And I think that kind of rounds off what we're talking about.
about before. Do you want to add anything to that yeah, before so, moving forward? So I think so. We, we talked about the two life domains: you, your relationships, and then finally the work domain. Yeah. So the the idea here is that you want to that values aren't this amorphous thing. The way you understand your values is you put them on your calendar. Don't sit there and write, my values are to be disinitiated. Come on, you'll never, you'll never address it. What you want to do is to turn your values into time. So if time with your family is important, put it on your calendar. Like block time to be with your kids, to yeah. be with your spouse, to be with your important friends. Put that time on your calendar. Uh, when it comes to finally the work domain, if you need time to reflect, that has to be scheduled. And so the reason this is so important is that now when you keep a time box calendar, you don't have this amorphous list of, of values. You can see your values. Your calendar reflects your values. And so when you do this once a week, you sit down, you look at your calendar for the week ahead, and you have it in your three life domains where you, where you live out your values, you, your relationships, and your work. And so week after week, what you're doing is you're running an experiment. You look at that calendar and you look at it for the week ahead, and you adjust it accordingly based on what you learned in the prior week, like a, a scientist doing an experiment. You're trying to figure out how can I adjust my calendar so that it becomes easier to follow in the week ahead. And yeah. this is how we turn our values into time. Yeah, and there's one other thought that, that's worth adding on to that. The things that are most important, like making time for yourself, work that into a habit, like a morning routine or something that like you wake up and you make sure it happens. Like but The most important things, some people say, make do that first. Mm-hmm. Get that done, like knock that out first, and taking care of yourself is probably one of the most important things, which which is why so many successful people have that morning routine where they wake up, they meditate or go to the gym or whatever. They take care of themselves. They eat right, you know. Um, but anything else that's worth discussing during this kind of talking about the what the, the internal distractions, right, uh, that's worth bringing to the surface before we go more to the external and how to hack back. We got about 13 minutes left together, so I want to make sure we leave <laughs> yeah. some time for that. Sure. So we've mastered the internal triggers. We've made time for traction. Of course, there's a lot more details there on how you can do that, et cetera, that I explained in the book. It's all in the book. The, it's all in the book. It's right the, here. The, the third step is to hack back the external triggers. So we talked about the internal triggers earlier. Let's talk about the external triggers. The external triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings. The number one source of distraction, it turns out, for the average American knowledge worker is none of those things, actually. It's not the computer. It's not the phone. The number one source of distraction is... Discovery? Other people. Oh. <laughs> we I was going to guess that. Discomfort is the internal trigger. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. The number one source of distraction from external triggers is other people. But in that, all these dings and pings are just the vehicle well, are, through which they're No, no, no. I'm talking them. about literally like another person tapping on the okay. shoulder and say, hey, can I talk to you for a quick sec? <laughs> gotcha. Or if you work in an open floor plan office or uh, if you're concentrating on something and somebody knocks on your door and interrupts you. you, that's the kind of external triggers that we're talking about. Okay. That actually, we can hack back those too. How do we hack those back? We can let other people know when you need time to concentrate, when you need that time for reflective work. So one of the things I advise uh, people who work in open floor plan offices is a screen sign, is a, a little thing you put on top of your computer monitor that's bright red that tells your colleagues, I can't talk right now because I am indistractable. Please come back later. We can do something similar by putting a sign on our door yeah. or going to a coffee shop as opposed to coming into the restaurant yeah. to give ourselves a little bit of time to think. To things, be- yeah, things that people have done on the show that, because we, we, we remember we're listening, to, we're talking to restaurant owners, they're not yeah. sitting at a cubicle, you know, but right. what they do usually do is sit down at a table in their restaurant or at the bar or whatever. A lot of people, what they do is they'll throw headsets on. I've heard that they put the headset on and that's my cue. I communicate to my team that if I'm wearing the headset, yeah. that means I need to do deep work. 
work. You cannot talk to me. Yeah. So anything that communicates that, that is long, if, if it works, I use the, the example of headset sometimes. not working. Yeah, that sometimes it doesn't work because people think you're watching YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, but your wife wears the crown, so there's right. something you can do. So something that's like that. So that's because we work from home, and so the the big distraction for us is my, is oftentimes my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's something you can't miss, right? Yeah. So you know, sometimes it might involve you know go to go to a coffee shop next door, yeah. or you know go go somewhere else perhaps if you need that hour of so focus. I'm gonna I'm gonna start counting these ways we can fight back. The first yeah. way you can fight back is by communicating with a, a sign or a hat or a, head, or a crown or going away to let people know that you are in just in indistractable mode. Right. All right. I really want to dive into uh, some of these ways we can hack back. We're going to take another quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention you, you've got to compete with the big guys, but how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Uh, what's one other thing we can do? So a lot of what we can, uh, that we can do is comes to our devices is turning off all those stupid notifications. Yep. I mean, how many of us, you know, it turns out two thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. Really? Right. <laughs> do we need to know about every stupid news alert and Facebook message? No. Nope. We have to ask ourselves this question. Is the external trigger serving me or am I serving it? Okay. So if the external trigger is a reminder, hey, it's time to go to that meeting. It's time to go to the gym. It's time to do this. That's fine. Those external triggers can be wonderful. But all of these external triggers, these pings and dings on our devices, on our computers, on our phones, we don't need all these distractions throughout the day. We have to ask ourselves which of them are serving me and which am I serving and get rid of all those that are not serving us. So get rid of the pings and the dings, the distractions that we don't need. What else? That's, that's right. number two. What's the third thing we can do? Okay, so there's all kinds of – there's various environments. There's group chat. There's meetings, for example. You know, if, I'm not sure how often a restaurateur has meetings. I think what's one thing that you mentioned in the book that is worth going into is Slack and oh, these okay. messengers because Slack is very big in the restaurant is world. Okay. Uh, people are starting to use it and leveraging that tool a lot. So what are some the things, but it could be extremely distracting. We get into yeah. these chats all over the place. Where are some Slack best practices? Yeah, so one thing, uh, an advice from Jason Fried, who actually founded one of these uh, these companies, uh, he says that you should think of, of, of Slack or any group chat app like a hot tub, mm. that you get into a hot tub for a while and then you get out. Well, the mistake that a lot of people made is they stay in the hot tub all day, right? And that's terrible for our productivity, right? You get all pruney and gross in a hot tub and you get all gross when you stay in Slack all day. So you want to plan time in your day to get in and out of Slack. Don't stay in it all day long. Yeah. And um, I think the other thing that's worth bringing to the surface that we know a lot of in the restaurant industry is emails. And you have some yeah. really great advice on how to get control over that inbox. Okay. So this is a big one. Everybody's yep. played by too many emails. Here's what you want to do. Uh, and this can help you reduce a tremendous amount of email. So first, let's look at email math for a second. How do you get fewer emails per day? You have to send fewer emails per day. 
right? Not a lot of people want to admit this, but it's a ping pong game, right? People think, you know, I'm trying to get to inbox zero. Let me clear out as many emails as possible. And they, they do it dead wrong. Because what we do, most of us, when we waste time on email, we waste time doing one particular thing. It's not the checking. It's not the replying. It's the rechecking. That's where we waste time. So when you open an email, you want to touch every email only two times. The first time you open that email and you ask yourself one question. When does this email need a reply? If it never needs a reply, just delete it or mm-hmm. archive it. How do you know it doesn't need a reply? Well, if it's a piece of spam, okay. if it's something that's informative but doesn't need your action. Is it not it. serving your values? Is it no, it's, if it's something that says, you know, just FYI, I want you to know this and that. Okay, Gary, got it. Archive. Because I feel like a lot of times we get people that reach out to us asking, requesting, requesting, requesting. Okay. And so if it's important to you, if you say, okay, I want, I, need, I want to reply to this person. Ask yourself, when is the latest this person needs a reply? Do yeah. they need to reply only two categories? Today? Yeah. Or can it wait till sometime this week? Yeah. Okay? Then, by categorizing our emails into those two buckets, today or this week, we're going to reduce our daily email load by about 80%. So only about 20% of your emails, on average, do you really need to reply to today. Gotcha. Now, then we're going to go back to step two around making time for traction. You have time in your day for urgent emails, mm-hmm. for emails that need a reply today. And by the way, you can time box that in several times. If you say, oh, I need to check my emails four times a day, fine. Put that in your calendar and in whatever increments that you're doing that four times a day. And and you're doing that at your desk. I don't know. You know, there's this rule that's kind of been floating around that I don't like that says uh, if something takes less than two minutes, just do it. That's antiquated because every email, a lot of emails take less than two minutes. But if you do 30 of them, you just wait yeah, an hour. Exactly. So, so what you want to do is have time at your desk to reply to emails. You're much faster on email on your, on your uh, computer versus your phone. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is when you go back to your desk and you reply to those, uh, you only reply to emails that are actually urgent for today. And you reply to those during that time box time. Now, what do you do with all those emails that are not urgent, that don't need a reply today. You categorize those, and if you don't know how to do this, just Google labeling emails. There's a lot, every, yeah, create every, a folder in your yeah, email. Super, a or, folder or a label is, yeah. is really easy to do. Every Gmail does it, Outlook does it, everybody can do it. Anyway, so you, you label the emails that are not urgent as this week, okay? Then you have time on your calendar. I, I call it message Mondays. So message Mondays for me is in the afternoon. I have three hours to go through all those non-urgent messages. Now, you can adjust that to however much time you need. Now, why is that important? How does this work? Aren't I just deferring the inevitable? No, here's why. Because when you give emails a little bit of time to marinate, a little time to, to, to make people wait just a bit, an amazing thing happens. Most of these emails no longer need a reply. Mm-hmm. People figure out their own questions. Yep. Uh, they get crushed under the weight of some other priority. And it turns out that these emails begin to kind of dissolve. You, you don't tr- need yeah. to reply to as many as you thought you You train did. people that say, to figure listen, out their own well, stuff. Exactly. exactly. He's not going to get back to me until money and I That's can't wait. Yes. So you're, you're creating habits in other people. That's right. Um, and I can say that uh, near did email me back at on Monday at 5 PM. So he is, he's talking to talk. He's not just saying these things. He, he's following. <laughs> I definitely use what I preach. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause it really does work. I mean, I was just inundated with email and, and now it's uh, it's very manageable, yeah. right? Because we don't what we don't want to do is every time we get an email, got to reply right away because we we think of it as like our task list, and so we become super reactive. We're constantly just replying, 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 and we don't realize we're just 
bringing those emails all back. The more emails you send, the more replies you're going to get every day. Yeah. So that doesn't work. So that's just one tech that we can use by labeling these emails based on when they need to reply. So up to this point, um, just some of the ways, and there's tons of ways where we can't get to all of them today. That's yeah. why you're going to have to get the book. But you covered uh, ways to hack back. Um, mm-hmm. Just go through them real quick. I know we talked about email. We talked about Slack. We talked about uh, what were the first two that you dropped on uh, Group chat. Group we, chat. We, talked, uh, we can talk about meetings. There's a whole section on that. There's well, we do about- a lot of meetings in the restaurant industry. It's worth dropping yeah. that. And I also want to le- make sure we, we uh, touch on uh, packs because I think that's sure. So that's the fourth step. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, fourth step is is what we have to do last, and so we we alluded to it a little bit before. Pacts are the last resort. It's the 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 final step to prevent you from getting distracted. After you do the other three, so after you've mastered the internal triggers, after you've made time for traction, after you've hacked back the external triggers, then we can do what's called preventing distraction with pacts. And there are three types of pacts. Okay. Uh, pacts are these, these promises we make to ourselves or to other people. And here's how they work. There are three types of pacts. We can use what's called an effort pact. An effort pact is when there's some bit of friction in between us and something we don't want to do. So for example, in my household, we found that night after night, we were going to bed later and later, my wife and I. And um, not only did our sleep suffer from it, our sex life suffered from it, right? Because uh, she was fondling her iPad and I was caressing my iPhone. <laughs> and we weren't going... Cheating to, on each other. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> and so here's what we did. I went to the hardware store and I bought us a $10 outlet timer. And this outlet timer, anything you plug into it, will turn on or off at a certain time of day or night. And so I set the timer for 10 p.m. And I plugged our internet router into this timer. So every night at 10 p.m., my internet shuts off. Now, could I turn it back on? Of course I could turn it back on, right? But it would require effort. It would require, require work for me to fiddle with it and play with it and turn it, you know, unplug the, the router and plug it back in. So it's just this bit of, of, of moment of time here where I can tell myself, oh, okay, this is not what I wanted to do. Let me, this prevents me from getting distracted. So that's an effort pact. Then we have what's called a price pact which is where we put some kind of monetary disincentive to, to getting distracted. So if we go off track, there's some kind of cost to it. And this actually came from the most successful uh, smoking cessation study in history involved making a bet with yourself, putting down $150 that if you didn't smoke for six months, you would get the $150 bet back. It turned out to be the most successful smoking cessation study in history. It's actually how I finished this book, Indistractable. I made a bet with my buddy Mark that if I didn't finish the book manuscript by January 1st, I'd give him $10,000. And there goes course, vacation, right? <laughs> well, of course, I kept my $10,000 because I finished the book. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a one, and I didn't lose any money. I didn't have to Was pay it a two way pack? What do you mean? Did he have to give you ten thousand? No, 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 no. Oh. no. It was I made a nice. pact with him. <laughs> no, and the idea was, you know, I really wanted to finish the book, and I kept my money. So that's just one example of a price pack. There's other examples as well. It's how I got into shape for the first time in my life. I exercise consistently now because of a, a price pact helps me do that. And then the last type of pact, which I think is the most important, is what we call an identity pact. An identity pact utilizes the psychology of religion, and the psychology of religion shows us that when people have a moniker, when they have some kind of identity that defines who they are, they become much more likely to stay on track. So if someone calls themselves a devout Christian or uh, an observant Muslim or uh, even a vegetarian, they become much more likely to do what they are, right? A vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, I wonder if I should have some bacon today. No, a vegetarian does not eat meat. It is who they are. And so we can use something similar in our own lives by calling ourselves indistractable. This is why the book is called Indistractable, because this should be our new moniker, right? Just the fact that you've 
listen to the podcast this long means you can call yourself indistractable. You are the kind of person who strives to do what you say you're going to do. It doesn't mean you never get distracted. That's impossible. We are all going to get distracted from time to time. It means you don't keep getting distracted by the same stupid thing day after day, week after week. You do something about it. You strive to live with personal integrity. Therefore, you are indistractable. And the good news here is that we've been here before. We can do this. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in the early 80s. So anybody born after, I don't know, like 1980 isn't going to understand this. But there was a time, and I remember this time, when people would walk into your home and just smoke a cigarette. Like people did this all the time. It was normal. It was totally normal. People walk in your home. We used to have ashtrays, even though my parents didn't smoke, because people would come over and expect to smoke in your house. Today, can you imagine if someone came to your house and just lit up a cigarette? Yeah. That'd be crazy, right? <laughs> it, would not be, it would not end well. Right. Well, yeah. what, well what changed? There was no the law. Culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no law that says you can't smoke in someone's private residence. What changed is people like my mother one day took away the, the ashtrays and said, oh, I'm sorry. We are non-smokers. We are non-smokers. If you would like to smoke, would you mind please going outside? And I remember the first time she did this, the person was so offended. You're going to ask me <laughs> yeah. to go outside to smoke? How dare you? How right. rude. And of course, now nobody would dream of smoking exactly. in their living room, right? Because our norms changed. Yeah. And so that is a really important part. This is what I'm trying to start as a movement here. People who stand up and say, I am indistractable. I don't let my time and my attention and my life be controlled by other people. I decide yeah. how I control my life. And I think it's really worth bringing to the, the conversation that we live in a time now where culture can change so fast because Everybody has a voice. And if something is really important, the message can get out there and people can be turned faster than ever. So it's just really hopeful. You know, there's a lot that needs to change in the world, in my opinion. And we're living in a time where if there was a time where we could have, you know, such fast transformation, it's now. I hope so. I mean, are we going to wait? Are we going to wait for the social media companies? Hey, uh, Netflix, can you please make your shows less interesting? Uh, iPhone, you know what? Apple, your your iPhone is way too user-friendly. Can you make it less uh, less easy to use? No. We're going to sit around and wait for it. If you hold your breath waiting for these tech companies to change, you're going to suffocate. Are we going to wait for the geniuses in Washington to fix this problem? Give me a break. We can do something about it right now. Well, it is after our agreed-upon time, and I do want to respect your time. (laughs) Appreciate it. Before we do say goodbye, I want to make sure I mention that there is another chapter in this book about uh, creating a culture for companies, an indistractable culture, which I think that my listeners would really appreciate. We didn't get time to get into that, but um, it's a teaser. Now you have to go out there and get the book. And again, the book is indistractable. How to control your attention and choose your life. Uh, why don't you let the folks at home know how can we connect with you? Or I know you have your blog that you talk yeah. more about psychology and, and business and uh, all that stuff. So what's the best way to learn more about you connect or whatever? Sure. So my blog is near and far near is spelled like my first name N I R and far. And if you go to indistractable.com, there is an 80 page workbook there that's completely free. Anyone can access it. It's complimentary. But if you do end up buying the book, make sure you go to indistractable.com. Keep your order number. If you buy from Amazon or a local bookstore, Barnes & Noble, doesn't matter. Keep the order number and enter it into indistractable.com. There's a free video course that you can get if you send us your order number. Awesome. Again, that's uh, nearandfar.com. That's N-I-R and far. Dot com. Uh, and just again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your knowledge and to let me make an example of you and what you, you spent so much time working on putting this book out. It's a really great book. Get out there, go buy it, Indistractable. Uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge. You are unstoppable. My pleasure. Thank you so much Cheers. for having me. This is great. Yeah. Heck freaking 
Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Nereal, for coming on the show to share your knowledge about how to become indistractable. And uh, these types of podcasts, these types of episodes are something I want to do more of in the future. Uh, when I think about where Restaurant Unstoppable is heading, uh, of course, we'll continue to do those deep dive conversations and the learning from the restaurateurs, uh, sharing their life stories, their values, their knowledge, their experiences. I think those are incredible uh, sources for inspiration and uh you know, to know how to be in the restaurant industry, to understand what it takes to be successful in the restaurant industry. But I say it all the time behind every great restaurant's a great person. So if I'm going to transform the restaurant industry, which is my mission statement, I need to get outside of the restaurant industry. I need to look to other industries and thought leaders in the world, not just within the restaurant industry and, and bring you, my listeners to the forefront of humanity, right? To the leading edge of what we're learning about, uh, what it takes to be successful in life, regardless of your profession. So that's what this is an example of me getting outside the industry to go towards thought leaders, like people who are leading us all getting them on the show. And that's one thing I need to be better about recognizing like restaurant stoppable has grown. I have some leverage. I can get some big swingers on the show and I need to get outside of the industry uh, to really uh, give you guys cutting edge stuff. So uh, more stuff like this is on the horizon. And if you want to, uh, be a little more engaged and uh, be a little more preactive uh, or sorry, proactive. Uh, join the Facebook group in the show notes. I'll be sure to link to the Facebook group. Join our community. We are uh, over 50 strong now. I'm really starting to lean into this, uh, this b- developing and growing this community on Facebook. Uh, and I'm going to start posting the books I'm reading. So when these authors come on, you can have already read the book. You can be there right with us. Um, maybe you can even ask me some questions you want the, the authors to answer, you know? So being much more proactive in the future is one of my goals. And uh, also don't forget that all these videos are, all these recordings are on video now. So be sure to, sub- to subscribe to uh, the restaurant unstoppable YouTube channel. I'll also link to that in the show notes. Again, this is episode 683 and um, I'll have Nier's book in the show notes as well uh, as, you know, all of his contact information that he shared with us and, um, this is the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. More shows like this. Uh, we'll continue to do those deep dives with restaurant tours. Don't worry, but uh, I'm excited, and I hope you are too. And I think that's it for today. Uh, what am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anything. All right, this was good. Uh, thanks again to Nereal, and uh, thank you all for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.